0: When it comes to your life, all that you are, all that you do, all that you think about, does it bring glory to God? Let's explore that question next here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. God, how and why. It is a very practical doxology or close to a a marvelous statement about who God is and how we worship and adore Him. To God be the glory is the title of our message today. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. We're in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Join us there. For today's broadcast of Abounding Grace, here's Pastor Gary.
1: Today, by God's grace, we will simply look at the last phrase, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Turn back, if you will, to the beginning of Romans chapter 3, and you'll see one of the most terrifying phrases in the whole book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 which concludes the first part of the book about our sinfulness. Jew and Gentile, we're told there is no difference. All have sinned. Verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Beloved, that is our death sentence. By our sin, you name yours, we all have one in Adam. On that fundamental day, we all spit in God's eye and said, we will do it our way, by our will. To come short of God's glory is to miss it completely, to be cut off from it, to be judged by it, and to bring ruin upon ourselves. But here's the mercy. God didn't leave us there. God took it upon himself to restore us by his mercy by the righteousness that he gives us through his Son. And our Lord Jesus brought us back to this glory. And throughout Romans, God's glory serves as the golden thread that just winds the whole thing together. Look, for example, in chapter 4 of Romans, and we'll just quickly make our way forward to where we are now. How are we, for example, going to trust God like Abraham did. Romans chapter 4 verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to God. How are we to have this hope and this faith because we live in the midst of so much mock as well as the deceptiveness of our own hearts. Chapter 5 verse 2 by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. How can we overcome our sins and live for God? Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so also should walk in newness of life what do we do when we suffer where is our comfort where is the strength to persevere romans chapter 8 verse 18 for i reckon that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us well paul hasn't finished with his glory he keeps going to it throughout the book And at the end of verse 36 of chapter 11, he concludes with the phrase, To whom be glory forever. Amen. This both is a declaration that to God will be the glory. It is also a directive, to God be the glory forever. It has such beauty, such force that we, you, me, us, the whole world, should be seized with the desire to praise God. And we will study why today. Now, I can't remember the first time in my life I heard 1 Corinthians 10, 31. You all know the verse. In fact, as as, as soon as I start quoting it, you'll be able to finish it. It is, rather therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I still don't think I truly understand this verse i mean i can understand thanking god for our food because we live by his cost and at his generosity i can understand christian businessmen and missionaries school teachers parents because those are noble callings glorifying god living for his praises but eating and drinking for god's glory these are such common things That it's the same as saying, when you tie your shoes, glorify God. How you look at people in the eye, glorify God. In other words, God's glory is supposed to dominate our whole perspective. But of course, we look around and we're thinking, but it doesn't. No one talks about God's glory in the popular press. Even in the church, a lot of preaching is how to elevate my feelings, how to fix my problems, not being focused on God's majesty, God's glory, God's magnificence. So whether you eat or drink to God, be the glory forever. What is so important about God's glory that everything I do should be devoted to this and then when we see that many of the world's peoples don't glorify God and they seem to be having a fine time living for themselves why should I go against the shining world the electrified world this everything is so beautiful and can be filmed world why should I go against it and devote myself strictly to the glory of God well what is God's glory let me give you a few ideas. And again here, I have only a small idea of what I'm talking about. I can only give you some snippets of Scripture. But God's glory is his kingly majesty. Not orchestrated like one of our present, picture opportunities. It is the kingly majesty, the exalted, majestic, weighty self that he is. God's glory weighs more than the entire universe combined because he is so magnificent. The Old Testament word kavod is often translated glory and it has the essential meaning of heaviness or weightiness. In the New Testament, the word for glory is doxa and it means excellence, dignity, nobility. That is the normal word for God's glory. To even try to give a definition to God's glory is to try and tame God. But the definition of God's glory must include the ideas of things like highness. It would be entirely appropriate to sincerely pray to God your royal highness, your exalted majesty, Greatness, weightiness, your excellency, your praiseworthiness. Now, these are difficult things for us to comprehend because God's majesty is so heavy as the word connotes. But you and I are lighter than feathers. Our lives are but a vapor. We are blown here and there. In our fallen, sunken state, there's Not anything very majestic about us. There is not anything great about us. But God is great, majestic. And then all of his attributes too. Holy, righteous, just, faithful, good, merciful, long-suffering, patient, powerful, omniscient, omnipresent. He is all of these things with such magnificence that we are to praise Him with our entire being. You know, to get some indication of this, we ought to think about the angels, because even though they have existed for a little over 6,000 years now, since God created all things by His voice, their feet are still covered. Their faces are still veiled they still, at the slightest nod from the living God, fly like lightning through the heavens to do His will, as if and because their greatest pleasure is to carry out some even small directive from God. It is their privilege. It is their pleasure. They just love to do it. They never tire of praising God. They never tire of doing his will. And remember, they are creatures like we are. But we are one day going to judge them, says the apostle. And yet they never tire of praising God. They never tire of playing their heavenly music. They never tire of shouting glory to God forever, glory to God in the highest. Now, if these mighty creatures never tire of praising God, never tire of serving Him with energy and zeal, even drawing from Him that energy and zeal, then we, here in the presence of God, is worthy of our highest praise, every other thought being set aside. He is worthy of our most reverent devotion. He is worthy of our promptest obedience. It is our privilege to glorify him. But here is something interesting. Turn to Second Corinthians four eighteen. This glory is not just that it is way out there somewhere in the sky. Second Corinthians four sixteen, for which cause we faint not, but through our outward man perisheth, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. "...for our light momentary afflictions, for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things that, we are, that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal." Back to chapter 3, verse now verse 18 of 2 Corinthians. "...but we all with open face, beholding as a glass or a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as the Spirit of the Lord. Now, I want to stress this idea with you, that in Christ, glory has come near to us. God has come near to us. It's just not that he is exalted and majestic and holy and true, even though all those things are true. But he is also, he is all those things now near to us. Emmanuel, God with us. The incarnation brought us to glory and restored God's glory to us. And even as Paul says in another place, God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of His glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And where is that glory? It is in us when we believe the gospel. We don't have to go over the mountains or across the seas. God puts it there. He puts it within our hearts in the hearts of his children, a holy life of truth and worship and gratitude and obedience and joy and peace and everything Jesus purchased for us. So the point here is, if we know God, we're going to want to glorify him. We don't want to offend him. We would rather die a thousand deaths than to sin against him one time. We want to please Him, even though we are so pathetic about it. Pleasing Him is the heartbeat of our lives. And when we sin, we don't want to go back to it anymore because God has put His glory in our heart. We don't go back anymore and try to sew together fig leaves because they don't work. They don't work. So we went right back to that glory and say, I have sinned against you, God, my Father. Forgive me through your Son and cleanse me. I want to glorify you. Give me the grace of repentance. Help me to seek your face. Why do we do this? It is because nothing is more important from the believer than to walk in fellowship with God. And nothing is more nauseating, personally offensive, and dreaded than to feel yourself to be at odds with him. Glory has come near to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. When God saves us, he opens our eyes to see that he is the most important thing in life. As a matter of fact, he is our only life. And we as Christians want to praise him. We want to praise him more consistently. Sometimes you may feel yourself saying with Moses, Lord, show me more of your glory because I want to praise you more. I want to obey you more. I feel my heart so sluggish, so weak. I want to please you. This is what glory does when it comes to dwell within us. Now look more specifically at Romans eleven thirty six again. To God be the glory forever. You may notice the verb is implied there, meaning that there is no verb in the phrase. The absence probably means that to God belongs in an absolute way, or that God is identified with glory eternally, comprehensively, completely. Let me say it another way, that every child in here can understand. The meaning of life is the glory of God. The meaning of life is the glory of God. Don't ever forget this. One day it's going to hit you right between your eyes when you stand before him. And there may be many things you wish you could go back and have done differently. It won't so much matter as long as you believe in the Lord Jesus. But if you do not look to him and confess your sins and fall upon your face and confess him before men, you will plead for the earth to open up and swallow you because you will realize I missed the most important thing in life, which is the glory of God. I miss the meaning of life praising Him, exalting Him, learning something of His exaltation, His majesty, His faithfulness, His truth, His justice, His goodness, and His love. Please remember, God made everything to reveal His glory. If God has saved you, why has He saved you? To reveal His glory. Is God working in your life? Of course He is. And if you are one of his, he is working in you for good and to manifest his glory, his faithfulness, his goodness, his patience, his long suffering, his forming power. So to God be the glory. I think it's a phrase of this doxology that arrests our attention in such a way that we understand that the meaning of life, the flow of history, the destiny of all things is God. To be praised. God is working in everything to glorify himself. This universe is God-centered. God is God-centered. Our happiness, living in conformity with the purpose of everything, is to be God-centered, to live for God's glory. Our first catechism question teaches us this. Can you imagine all the things that those weighty divines could have come up with But their first question was, and this is true of many of even the Catholic catechisms of that period, they all focused on, now why are we here? Why did God make us? What is the meaning of life? You can listen to the radio and hear all of these whores and cads telling you what the meaning of life is. And it is for them, love me, love yourself. Make me feel good. Our catechism, of course, is much wiser because scripture is much wiser. And it says man's chief end, his highest end, is to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. So because this world is God-centered, if we're going to be on board with what God is doing, think about it like this. Just imagine in your automobile, your mechanically-minded son decides he's going to build a steering wheel in the back seat because he doesn't like the way you drive. So he builds a steering wheel in the back seat facing the other direction, and he's going to fix up a little transaxle back there and a gas pedal, and he's going to basically mount it so that he can drive against you. The car's not going very far, is it? Every time we don't live for God's glory, if God is driving the car of this universe in one direction and we've got it floored going in the other direction, thinking I can go in the other direction the way I want it to go to make this look like I want to make it look, then what? We destroy ourselves. That's why there is so much psychosis in the world today. That's why so many people are drugged every day just to cope. It's very simple. When we live out of accord with the purpose of this universe, we drive ourselves crazy. Well, we can be nice while we're doing it. We can be educated. We can have sophisticated technology at our fingertips. But our whole health, mental, spiritual, physical, and our happiness lies In living in conformity with the purpose of this universe, which is to glorify God. To bring Him honor and praise. So think about this. Which way are you driving the car of your life? I've got my destiny. I know where I'm going. But are you trying to be a pilot going in the other direction? The whole of life is that God is going to be glorified. And He calls us to glorify Him. Whenever you believe this, the vein of Christianity changes for you. Being a Christian changes. It is is not about obeying these rules so I can please people. I've got to obey these rules so I can please my parents. I've got to obey these rules so I can stay out of trouble. No, I want to obey God so that I can please Him. I want to obey God so that I can walk in fellowship with Him. Why, this changed in, why has this changed in so many people? Well, we all have knowledge like this. Know people like this. Why does the change take place in a Christian life? Because God's glory has come to live with us by His Holy Spirit, and He transforms us. Instead of running away from God, we want to know Him. And even when it makes us face our sins, our children's sins, our parents' sins, whatever it may be, I want to enjoy God and glorify Him, and I want to put away all the idols, be exposed, whatever it takes. No deals, no games, no giving you a few, Lord, of my easy sins so I can hold on to my big ones. No, I want to glorify you. I want to enjoy you. I want to walk with you. Now, glorifying in God, we need to put some more meat on this. It's not a pious slogan. It's no exaggeration either to speak of glorifying God as our life mission. This is your mission. I want you to think about this. This is your mission. This is why God made you. This is why God remade you in Christ. And this is why Paul has said everything he has said so far in Romans about our sinfulness, our justification in Christ, peace with God through Jesus, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God being with us. Romans 8, working all things together for our good. Jew and Gentile are, be, are going to be saved in massive conversions that are going to fill the earth with God's glory. This is why Paul has said everything thus far so that you and me will get on God's agenda, that his mission will be our mission to glorify him, to enjoy him. This is why God has redeemed us.